Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello, cricket badgers everywhere. Welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. And a very good guest indeed today, the former England one-day international captain, England test player and Surrey captain of some repute, Adam Hollyoak, joins me to take on the Cricket Badger 20 questions. Answers them brilliantly and I think you'll agree that he's in a good place at the moment and it's a very interesting chat I have with him, enjoyable chat I have with him on the Cricket Badger podcast this week. Before we get into the chat with Adam, in the absence of a sponsor for the Cricket Badger podcast at the moment, nudge, nudge, hint, hint, getting to plenty of ear holes. So if you'd like to get your business in front of the cricket world, cricketbadger at hotmail.com. I'll see you right. But in the absence of that, for the time being, we're dedicating the various episodes to different people. And this one is for David Hodgkiss, the Lancashire chairman who sadly departed us through coronavirus over the last week popular man at Lancashire so thoughts go out to all of his family and to the staff and players at Lancashire and by virtue of that as well I think it's only right that we dedicate this one to the staff at the NHS the carers around the country those people volunteering the key workers that are keeping us safe and well really is appreciated it's been said on many different platforms but I think it can be said enough at the moment the work they're doing my daughter is a nurse and and she's uh, just starting out on a career. Worried about it, but very, very proud of her at the moment. And proud of everybody in the NHS, all of the carers and all of the volunteers. Well played. Keep it going. And thank you very, very much for all of your hard work. But without further ado, let's listen to Adam Hollyoak. He takes on the Cricket Badger 20 questions, takes them on fully, frankly. And I think you'll find it is an enjoyable listen. Here's Adam Hollyoak's Cricket Badger 20 questions. It's that Badger style. 
it's a, a joy to welcome Adam Hoyoke to the show. And it's always usually a throwaway question, this one. But in the times of coronavirus, it's very much a, an appropriate question. Adam Hoyoke, how are you? Oh, good, thanks, actually. I mean, anyone who has got the virus, I reckon, is probably going pretty well. So fortunately, I'm, I'm clear, mate. I'm all clear. Good stuff, good stuff. And you're going to take on the Cricket Badger Podcast 20 questions today. And we'll start with question number one, which, as I always say, is probably the best place to start. If not cricket, what would you have done with your life? That's scary, hey. Um, I don't even want to think about that because my um, academic career was not that good. So um, I'm thinking if it wasn't another sport, and I'm going to say I'm avoid that because if I just give a boring other sport, story then um you know that's probably what everyone else does uh i reckon i would have probably been doing some manual labor somewhere i reckon um i don't know maybe like digging up roads or something <laughs> i don't know i, I don't like i think as i struggled to sit in an office so i reckon i'd have had to do something physical i think so i've tried sitting in an office once and it just wasn't so bad for me but everybody else in the office hated me so uh, <laughs> I, I had to get out of there mate i got to, i'm an outdoor person who was the biggest influence on your cricket career Two people uh, are equal, I reckon. Um, my father, I'm sure that's one that's pretty common on here. Um, and then a guy called Peter Carlstein. Um, they were the two sort of biggest influences on me as an as a actual technical player. And then probably Keith Medlicott at Surrey as a coach, I'd say. So, I mean, I know that you asked for one and I give him three, but they all had their own role, I reckon, and they're all slightly different, but all played a major role for me. That's, that's all good. That is all good. And you mentioned your dad there. Obviously, your brother, Ben, who I'm sure we'll talk about again shortly, but he's uh, got two sons there that are obviously very talented with cricket. So was it a case of in the backyard, back garden, you and Ben with the cricket bat and your dad throwing balls down at you? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it wasn't even like half the time wasn't even backyard because we had a strange childhood. We spent a lot of time traveling, um, uh, living in caravans a bit, and, and then other times um, private school and we sort of really sort of roller coaster childhood so there's sometimes when we were like just trying to find any patch of land to be able to play some sport of some description and then there's other times when we were in you know first class cricket net so it was yeah it was um variety of uh, situations but dad definitely had a big part to play in that you always strike me as well. I mean, we'll, we'll get on to your other sports as well, I'm sure, as we go through this. But you strike me as a very competitive kind of fellow that, you know, you, you don't like to, you've already mentioned that you're kind of restless and you like to get cracking on stuff. But the fact that you had a, a younger brother that was talented as well, a lot of competition in that sibling rivalry, was there? Yeah, I think there was. I mean, it sort of got more and more as time went on. Obviously, what people sometimes forget is there's six years between us. So uh, if you put that in perspective, a 12-year-old, there's not really much competition against a six-year-old or an 18-year-old, there's not much competition against a 12-year-old. So after that, it's probably once you got to 15 or 16 that we started um, getting competitive with each other. And I actually just got to that stage with my elder son there, who's just about to turn 14. And we're starting to get that quite competitive um, little thing going on so it's uh, it reminds me of that relationship between my brother it's, uh, it's quite enjoyable with our first sparring session the other day we boxed did our first proper like, sparring session which was really quite fun so um yeah bringing back the memories probably a relationship wasn't it that, that was probably more productive for ben rather than yourself because I've, I've always found it my very limited ability that if you're playing against somebody that's bigger and better than you it brings you on a little bit so maybe that was the kind of the dynamic in that that sibling rivalry yeah, 
absolutely. And I think just in life, I mean, if you're around better people, you become a better better person. If you're around better players, you become better. And I, I, I suspect I didn't like losing to him or even letting him get close when we were young. So I'm guessing his standard probably raised based on the fact that we played against each other so much. But we did spend a lot. We're both kind of obsessed with sports. So, you know, see other kids out there like swapping trump cards or whatever else they did or playing computers or reading books. We were just out playing sport all the time. So whatever that was. And uh, I guess if you do something a lot, you get good at it. If you cast your mind back across your career, Adam Holyoke, and you can take me back to one day in your cricket life. Where would you like to go back to? What's the best day in your cricket life that you'd like to relive again? Oh, wow. Um, and I've got to be really careful as well because you asked me who the biggest influence in my career was and I gave three. So I've got to really be careful to give one here. <laughs> I'm going to say when we won the championship in 1999, that last hour, and we were two hours, we went out of the last session and we needed 150 to win, something like that. And the crowd was full at the Oval and everyone had come expecting us to win the championship that day. Um, we were never going to get 150 and I think it was 26 overs in a four-day game in those days. But Mark Butcher and Ian Ward went out there and just smacked it everywhere. And, and whilst, you know, there was higher profile, I don't know, there was probably only two or 3,000 people in the crowd at the time. Um, you know, I played in front of 95,000 in the MCG. But for some reason, that moment was just poignant for all of us. I, I did individually did better things than I did on that day, which was nothing on that day. I think it was something that Graham thought, Alex Stewart, Martin Bicknell, Mark Butcher, myself, all the Surrey born and bred players had strived for together. And I think that feeling of winning it was amazing. Like I've done some other individual sports and you win and it's great, but you never quite have that feeling of you're so happy about winning and you look around and there's someone across the chain who's equally as happy and has strived as long as you have to win it as well. So um, I'd say winning the championship in um, 1999 with all my fellow Surrey players. And be honest with me, I've heard a lot of people talk about their successes when they've looked back at post-retirement. Is it the moments on the pitch that mean more to you or is it actually that dressing room when you look around and see your mates and you, are they are they the memories that stick with you longer? That's the whole thing, mate. And I haven't really got a good memory. Like I haven't got a very good memory, but <laughs> I, remember, I remember some, let's see, I guess I couldn't tell you one shot that was played in that game. It's not like I went, wow, and then Mark played a cover drive and then Ian Ward flicked one off his hips or I can't remember. I'm sure there were some great shots played when he scored 150 of 25 overs. There must have been some good shots played. I remember conversations. I remember sending a message out saying, I want us to win this tonight. And then I remember the message coming back from um, Mark Butchers going, why don't you fuck off? (laughs) You know how hard it is out here. So I was like, yeah, I get it. And I know it's hard, but let's just have a crack at it tonight. The crowd's in and we know it's going to rain tomorrow. So let's have a go. And there's grumpy messages going back and forward between us. um, But he still did it. He still went out and and, um, won the game for us. So... That, I remember that, and then I remember obviously the part, some of the party afterwards. But I don't really remember any one particular shot or anything like that. So it tends to be conversations, big important conversations, and my funny moments. They tend to stick in your memory, I guess. But I remember sitting in the change room and just looking at Butch after we'd won it. And he, he's my oldest friend. I mean, I've known him since we were 11. I remember just looking at him and just, it was just like, that was something that we'd strive for for so long. I don't think I'd ever worked towards something for so long. And we didn't have to really say anything, do you know what I mean? So it was just uh, that moment I'll never forget. It's the same question, Adam, but it's, uh, it's the kind of the dark side question. What's the worst moment? What day would you not want to relive? In my life or in cricket? In cricket. In cricket? Um, mate, I'm good at forgetting those ones. Um, let me think. Wow, that's amazing, hey? I can't really... 
Um, oh, I, I think I remember the, probably the 1998 last game of the season for Surrey versus Leicester. Again, we'd worked so hard to try and win that. This was the year before we won it, and it was the battle between the two top sides. Um, we started the game off. Sacklane got told he had to go play for Pakistan, so we lost him. Um, Martin Bicknell went down injured. Tudor went down injured, and we were basically bowling. We're playing top of the table on TV for the championship with half a side, so um, and didn't win it obviously. So that day was pretty bad. Um, can't really remember any others though. Uh, I mean, I'm sure none of the test matches I played in were that bad. They were, they weren't. I'm sure there were some one-day internationals that weren't great, but that, that one probably stands as disappointing because we'd worked again so hard to try and win the um, win that championship for so long, and then fell up that last hurdle. That was that was very disappointing. We won both the the, the, the Lords finals we played in, so um, I'd probably that one I'd say. When I asked you that question, you said, what in my life? If, if we make that question about your life, what would you, your answer be for that? Was the, What's the worst day that you've had? Oh, I was losing my brother without a doubt. Um, yeah. that's, that's, there's that and then daylight and then probably losing Graham Kersey. And then I lost another friend about six months before my brother died. So, yeah, those three things happened in a pretty short space of time. I was getting smashed at that time of my life, but uh, smashed with um, negativity and disappointment. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, those, I mean, obviously my brother's, you know, blood and I grew up with him. He was my best mate and that's the standout really, I guess. I lost all my money in 2000, um, right, 2008, 2009 or something like that, but that doesn't even really really feature. But uh, it was obviously a highlight for negativity in my life. Another thing uh, outside of the people that I've lost that um, that doesn't really, that doesn't even, that doesn't even, it's not even a blip on the radar as far as I'm concerned because I'm not really that motivated by money anyway. So it's um, but probably, yeah, definitely my brother. That, that, that answer, kind of, we're, we're sat here. I mean, I know people probably maybe listen to this podcast two or three years down the line where hopefully coronavirus is a, is a distant memory. But everybody at the moment seems to be in this world thinking that, fair enough, we, we might be out of work. We might not have money, but basically we need to survive this because life is more yeah. important than the cash, isn't it? And that, that kind of goes back to what you just said there, that yeah, you, you can't replace your brother. You can replace a few quid, can't you? Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many, I don't know the demographic or the class system of your um, of your podcast. I'm guessing probably white middle-aged men. <laughs> so um, I, I was in that, I was in really quite fortunate financial position in 2008, 2009. I probably had more money than I could have spent in 10 lifetimes. I reckon I'd had a successful property development company and then GFC came. I was overexposed with my property and I lost everything and um, and I, I was in a really stressful situation. I had people chasing me for money, banks and, and what have you. And uh, But then after, you know, eventually I got to the point where, you know, okay, I'd lost all my money and, and there was nowhere, no more to lose. They can't take more than than what you've got. <laughs> that was it. I was back to nothing and, um, and I probably dwelled on it for, you know, five or six months months and you know like well you know i had all this money and if i only had done that and if i only had done that and then one day i went i woke up and i was like wow um, I'm not doing anything any different to what I did when I had all that money. The only difference was I had a few more zeros in my bank account. And in fact, I've gone on and done stuff that I never would have done if I hadn't lost my money. So I then turned to professional fighting. Um, I've had a good, successful career in fighting and I went in the, back into cricket. I've done a whole bunch of other things, which if I just carried on with the money I'd had, I could have retired and just sat on a sun lounger for the rest of my life, which sounds sounds fun, but you're not striving. You know what I mean? You're not you're not trying to improve and now that I look back 
Because after six months, I went, I'm actually doing nothing different to what I did before. It's just my car's a little bit slower. My house is a bit smaller, but everything else is the same. I'm still telling the same bad jokes and I've still got the same mates and the ones that I didn't like who weren't there for me have gone. So that's cool. It actually worked out all right in the end. And I'm I'm probably, okay, I'd be lying if I said I was happy about it at the time, but I am now looking back on it i feel i built resilience through that time and i built a lot of strength and character and and realized this i probably got maybe a real faster learning to the meaning of life so um if i look back again i wouldn't wish anyone to go through it but if they people do have to go through it you'll learn a lot out of it and you'll find out a lot about yourself and build character and and you'll be surprised with how little you need and what you can actually survive on i, I follow you on on social media we're, we're friends on facebook and what have you so i see your posts coming coming out on social media and with Ben it's kind of like once a year and they seem to the years come around very very quickly don't they but every now and again I I see a post from you saying you know always going to be young always going to be good looking miss you mate and all these these kind of stuff and is there a day where you don't actually think about your little brother and think I wish he was still here oh yeah yeah there's days where I go through I mean I'm I don't want to sound like I'm some sort of martyr or I'm living in like eternal pain or anything like that. It's like when it first happened, I don't reckon there would have been a day in the first couple of years when I didn't think about him or I didn't get a sinking feeling. Then as time's gone on, um, um, you know, yeah, there's definitely days where I go through that. I mean, I've got three kids of my own as well. I've got a duty of responsibility. I mean, if you follow me on Facebook, you'll see one of my things at the moment is talking, trying to like rally my fellow man up to say, be men, you know what I mean? Like stand up at this time. If you're the father of the home, you know, stand up and you know bring some peace and calm to your family and if you're the leader of a company try and make your workforce feel calm your words are quite um, important and they can influence what people think and more importantly they can influence what you think yourself if you get around telling yourself you're unhappy you'll be unhappy but if you get in there and you have a crack and you keep telling yourself to keep going and you're building character and um, you're going to get out of it then eventually you will but it takes character and it takes strength and it's not easy I'm not saying it's easy but um, you will definitely come out of it stronger no one's ever been into a trouble period or hard period and and come out weaker i mean they might be in the short term yes you probably feel weaker and vulnerable and what have you but eventually after time when you've been through those emotions you your ceiling raises and you can just you can cope with so much more It's even more important at the moment, given my own precarious employment position with no sport to commentate or write about, I am looking for a Cricket Badger podcast sponsor. Please, please, please help out the podcast. Help me out and come on board with your business. I can get you in front of the cricket world. Plenty of people listening to podcasts at the moment with no live sport to descend upon with their eyes or their ears. So please, please, please help out the Cricket Badger podcast. Come on board, contact me, cricketbadger at hotmail.com or contact me on the Twitter at cricket underscore badger. Your help would be hugely appreciated by the Cricket Badger listeners and we can help each other out in these troubled times. Who was your cricket hero when you were a young kid? Was it was there somebody that you looked up to? Was cricket a big thing when you were a child and you had a poster boy on the wall? No, I only had a poster of one guy on my wall. Um, that was Viv Richards. I loved the way he played. I loved the way he, I loved the way he put pressure on the bowlers. I loved the way his whole theatre of his game. He walked out the bat like he owned the place. He put pressure on the bowlers. He tried to make them be fearful of him whereas bowlers are always the ones trying to make batsmen be fearful and get them out he was the one who went back and put pressure on bowlers so he was ahead of his time when you think what 
that's what batsmen do now. He was 30 years ahead of his time. So, um, yeah, definitely good, Richard. Same here. Absolutely great player. Oh, amazing. Yeah. If you could trade lives with any current cricketer for a day, who would you choose? You live in their skin, you experience their life and their talent for a day. Which cricketer would you pick? Talent-wise or just a day in their life? Interpret talent it or... however you like. Um, it's a really hard question, you know. I, I mean, I don't know how deep I'm allowed to go with this question, but um, I'm kind of done with being a player. I think if I had the opportunity, it would probably be to go and inspire someone to become a better player themselves rather than me. Actually, I think I feel like I've had my time. I don't really feel I, – I, I wasn't the best player in the world, but I honestly can look back on my career and say I gave it absolutely everything. I left nothing in the tank. So I don't really have any regrets. I don't think – and I don't even look back and go, I wish I was better at this or I wish I was better at that because it is what it is. But I look forward now and I, I do think of I'd love to be a coach that could turn some players, give some guys who are, you know, regular first-class players and turn them into some of the best players in the world. I'd love to, I'd love to be able to do that. So it'd probably be a coach, I reckon. It'd probably be a coach. And I'm trying to think of a coach that springs to mind that, that, that does that. Um, um, not one that springs to mind at the moment, but I'd love to be that person, whoever it is. So it's only fairly recently you've, you've gone back into cricket and, and taken up coaching. Because you Was it last summer or the summer before you started working a little bit with England? You went, you came back and... No, it's been a while. And it's probably, it does seem like... Sometimes I go, oh, I feel like I've only been back into it for 18 but it's actually again us getting old mate it's um <laughs> it's um it's actually about four years or something so is it really wow. yeah so I, I did a couple of years with england and now i've just i'm just coming to the end of a two-year contract with queensland so and then i was meant to be going and coaching with glamorgan but the, with the coronavirus i'm not sure what's going on because that was just during the around time of the 100 so everyone's waiting to see what happens there so i was meant to be coming over to england and working with them for a couple of months so um pretty fortunate in that I only decided to get back into cricket three and a half years ago or whatever it is and already I've worked with England England Lions Queensland um, and then obviously it could be Glamorgan as well um, if the corona sorts itself out so um, I've been really lucky to have been accepted back into the cricket community after I basically walked away in 2004 so I'm pretty grateful You've enjoyed that side of it have you to come back in and, and to work with people with different standards and different kind of abilities to take them forward Yeah well there hasn't been much there, there has actually hasn't been much difference I mean in um, standard wise as in like I've worked with England England Lions Queensland they're only three really good teams and there's very little in it do you know what I mean um, there's some, I mean, we're talking about the best players in the world mm. so um, I've been lucky so I, 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 again like being grateful and just showing gratitude every day is a speak to me at the moment and um, and I'm like just I think it was a guy called Gordon Lord I was about three years ago when I finished fighting professionally my dad said what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, you, you need, you've been involved in the only time I've ever seen you unhappy was the five years when you first finished, when you weren't involved in competitive sport. I said, yeah, that's true. I was unhappy then. And I said, so you need to have that in your life. So you need to either get back into coaching or find another sport that you can be professional at. So then I was like, yeah, no, I, I want to get back into cricket. And then the day, the first day back coaching, I remember walking away from the training ground and I just felt like I've never felt so happy in my life. And I was like, this is what I've got to be doing. Um, I knew then this is what I need to do. And I absolutely love it. It's just being around the team again, being in a competitive environment, helping people out. 
I never would have thought I'd have been a coach when I finished, but um, I now, in my spare time, I used to think about playing great innings or I used to think about, you know, bowling great spells or when I was fighting, like tactics with fighting or whatever it was. But now I like when I have spare time, I sit there and I think about ways that I can give our team an edge or an individual make him a better player. And, and that's it's the same thing, but, but slightly different. But I, I, I love it. I really do. I, just, I, I feel fortunate that I've come across it. You've been a professional in three different sports, which is quite special, that really cricket, MMA and boxing. And yeah. I, I hinted at part of this interview. You, know, you, you strike me as a very, very competitive kind of individual. You want to get there and in the thick of it and be involved in it. There was going to be a, a, a big danger, wasn't there, at the end of at the end of that? Because you can only go on with those three disciplines for so long that you'd yeah. actually just be sat looking at four walls, thinking, "What the hell do I do now?" Yeah. Um, well, if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, um, there's probably a, a post there. Um, oh, I would have been, well, four or five years ago when I had my last fight in Jakarta. I remember, yeah. I, I sat there and there was this, it was a terrible, I was in the, in the sort of heart of the um, of the stadium underneath. It was like, like a dungeon down there and there was this crappy mirror across there which had my hand wraps hanging off it and there was just crap everywhere. And I just remember I was sort of glancing amongst all the rubbish and then I just looked there and I just saw myself in the mirror and I was like, I realized that was that was me done. I was like, I know now it's time to stop um, getting out here and doing this and using my body to for as a means of employment. I need to go and like start finding another thing to do. So I just knew that I was done then at that moment. And that's uh, and ever since then, that's I haven't really looked back. I don't really want to ever get the urge, which for the first time ever, cause probably since I was ten, where I have thought I want to be the person under the spotlights performing competing now i'm like quite happy to help other people do that is there anything you've taken from mma and boxing that even if it's just subconscious that you've, you've taken back into cricket that you've learned from those fights and you've learned from that experience that you've taken into cricket yeah there's definitely some stuff i mean i think a lot of people think that i'm going to bring back mental strength back into cricket and pass that on but it's actually almost the other way around i always find that um find cricketers to be probably a bit mentally tougher than most fighters i don't mean that disrespect respectfully to fighters um i mean uh, just any game where there's pre-game mental strength probably belongs to the fighter just that ability to i mean the nerves you get before you fight and anxiety and fear of failure fear of getting hurt all those things that you've got to deal with pre-game or pre-fight that's something which i feel like is very much heightened in the fighter but Look, you know, if you if you had 30 or if you had 50 fights as a fighter, that's a hell of a lot of fights. So you're only coping with anxiety or nerves 50 times in your career. You might do that 50 times in a season as a cricketer. So, mm. um, you know, getting nervous, going out to bat, if you're a professional, you might bat that many times in the season. So um, I feel like the cricketers get more of an opportunity to learn to cope with nerves and anxiety. And then the game of cricket, it gives you so much more time. It's so much slower than fighting. So you've got more time for your mind to Plot. and your mind's your biggest enemy your own mind is your biggest enemy that you know we all get those voices when we're batting like come on try and whack a six or well this one's going to hit me in the head or you know this guy's going to get me whatever our mind's telling us there's so much time to do that when you're playing cricket whereas when you're fighting it's actually quite reactionary and you, things are coming here and you're doing a lot of stuff subconsciously so um i don't feel there's as much time for your mind to play games with you when you're fighting so you're kind of on autopilot I find that the mental side of cricket's a bit harder, but I've definitely tried to bring in some physical um, things back to cricket and then just that coping with nerves leading into the game. That's probably the one thing that I would bring back from fighting into, into cricket. 
Next question, is it true or false one? I, I saw a tweet the other day, Adam, where, uh, I'm sorry, I can't actually uh, recognise the tweeter because I didn't actually write that down, but he basically put on his Twitter feed, John Buchanan wanted Adam Holyoke to play for KKR in the 2009 IPL and was looking at him as one of the captaincy probables in his multiple captains regime in that season. Holyoke said no, as he didn't feel his body was ready for an IPL season at the age of 37. Is, is that true? And if it is true, would you regret that decision? No. No, um, I don't regret it now. Um, it's true, 100% true. John Buchanan called me up. What year was it? Sorry. 2009. Yeah, that'd be about right. Yeah, it was probably, yeah, it would have been. That's exactly right, because that's when I came over here to Queensland. I had a phone call out of the blue from John Buchanan, and he said to me, mate, you know, I want you to come and captain KKR. I was like, you do realise I've been retired for five years. <laughs> so um, he was like, yeah, um, you know, he'd been spoken to Dave Gilbert, and obviously we played against each other, and we'd had a lot of conversations with one another. And he said, yeah, we. I just feel that the captain see if Calcutta is going to be important and I want your strength of character around and and then I started training getting ready for it play and then uh, it was probably about a month out from IPL I was I was playing some club cricket here and it just wasn't happening I was my knee was blowing up and I was I just needed longer I felt to get back my body into that cricket shape and um, I thought you know I spent 15 years as a professional cricketer this could easily be a very very famous six or seven weeks of me making a fool of myself so um, I decided to pull out I mean it's all easy to say oh I should have done it and I look back in hindsight with regret but that's me thinking of myself being in great shape and playing as I did back in the day. I wasn't that person in 2009, so I think I made the right decision. I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for a day, Adam Holyoke. What one thing would you change or introduce to make the sport better? This will be really controversial, and I know there's going to be a lot of people out there that will just jump on me um, without actually thinking it through. But if you stop and think about it, it's a it's a, it's a a risky thing to do, but I would get rid of the match referees. Um, I would probably encourage a bit more competitive I mean, I don't want to see the game get ugly or anything like that, but I like to see a bit more competitive. And people say, oh, well, we're an example to the young kids and what have you. Well, the thing is, my reason for saying it is um, I find that in an era, in a time when we've got multiple formats of the game, T20, 50 overs, test match, we've got multiple tournaments around the world, um, different teams for different international games, um, and we're never quite sure. We can't identify with anybody. They've got match referees. Everyone's friendly and pally-pally. Match fixing's rife. Well, maybe not rife, but it's it's around. It always looks like people are resting to, to be fit for the next game. Everyone's playing for tomorrow. Everyone's playing for tomorrow. I think that there's something beautiful about two guys just going at it and playing and that viewing pleasure you get when you see two guys. There's no doubt what's going on out there. They want to win and they're at one another and they're competing I think we can't be scared of that and match referee takes that out people getting fined that takes it out and then you always you've got this this stagnant feel about the game where are these guys really trying because it just feels like they're going through the motions and everyone's like a robot and we get those boring match interviews where everyone's too scared to say what they think and then the argument is that oh I don't want my kids seeing that as an example well my counter argument for that is 
I got three kids as well. If the worst thing they did in their life is be overly aggressive on a sports field, I'll be the happiest dad in the world. Because there's other kids out there who aren't playing cricket, who are down there on the corner of McDonald's doing drugs because they're not inspired enough to want to to do anything else. So if we can get those kids out of the streets and away from doing stuff because they can go and express themselves and play a game that's fully competitive, and I think that would be that would be my challenge. And it's controversial, I know, and I and there's and, there's, and I'm not disrespecting people who don't agree with me um there's plenty of counter arguments and we can talk about it all day but that's just my opinion and that's just what i would do i was watching a, a, on youtube the other day the uh, piece of cricket at trent bridge where atherton was facing donald one of the most famous little duels in, in yeah. test history yeah. where alan donald was his fuse was going wasn't it because he was getting yeah. angry yeah. and uh, i guess nowadays if that same passage of play happened now probably alan yeah. donald would find mike atherton would get fined and both of them would be in disgrace whereas actually goes down in history is one of the greatest sporting spectacles that I've, I've witnessed but ultimately Adam I guess that match referee may, maybe he needs to step back a little bit but you still need to have a line don't you where you can't cross of it of course of course but I want to see it degenerating into I mean it's still a beautiful game and and I I wouldn't like to see it degenerating into like soccer antics where everyone's arguing with the referee. No one wants to see that either. There's certain, but I think the two people should be allowed to compete with each other. I think the umpire's got to be respected, and I love that about our game. I love that about rugby, where you know there is the authority there, and you and you don't argue. I like I like that. That's a beautiful thing about the game. But I think competing with one another and and saying things to one another that's exciting. That's exciting. That's, that's so good to take that away. I feel like we're shortchanging the spectator like if I'm playing against you and we're genuinely competing with each other and I'm telling you I'm going to get you out and you're saying mate no you're not and we're both playing for our country and we're playing as hard as we can with both of our emblems on our chest that's great that's fantastic and I think that they probably maybe not get rid of the match referees but maybe give them guidelines to let that stuff go yeah I'd hate to see umpires um it's a hard enough job as it is, but and there's no need for that. It's, it's a good test of discipline and respect. But there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with competing. Don't put it up there with being a bad example. It's it's nothing wrong with competing. It's it's healthy. It's life. Our whole life's about competing. So um, that's I think I'd like to see that change would be the one thing. But we'll see. They might do it. If, if you were saying to me I'm going to get you out and I was saying to you that you weren't going to get me out, I think I, it would be me that would come off worse in that that situation. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. The listenership is going up every single week. Thanks so much for your ears. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your likes, your subscribes. It's on every platform around the world. So make sure you listen. Tell your friends and contact the show too. Let us know what you think. Give us your ideas for future shows at cricket underscore badger on the Twitter feed. Cricketbadger at hotmail.com on the emails. Thank you so much, badgers. Keep listening. They say rock stars want to be sportsmen and vice versa. You've obviously been professional in three different sports, but if you could have been famous in any other field, which one would you have picked? I was I was lucky enough to dip into your Facebook the other day when you had your uh, the guitarist on on, on yeah, your sofa. He's, he was fantastic. Yeah, he's here now. He's here now. Yeah. I, well, I think. I, that's exactly right. I'd be a rock star, mate. I love it. I'm just, I've seen the way he lives his life. I want to be him. 
<laughs> Give him a name check on here so that he gets a few more spots. Oh, I think he's Jackson, worth it. Oh, Jackson Dunn. Um, Jackson Dunn. El Mariachi is his stage name, but Jackson Dunn on Spotify. Go check him out. He's a serious talent. A, a big statement. He's one of the top 10 guitarists in the world. Amazing. If you could meet anyone, living or dead, who would you like to spend a bit of time with? Um, Jesus Christ would have been pretty cool to hang around with, I reckon. He, was like, um, he sounded like he had some good messages out there. Uh, Nelson Mandela would have been good to spend some time with. Um, yeah, then I'm trying to think. I, and then I guess after that, sports people, maybe, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, just to get into the minds of some great sports people. Don Bradman, maybe. I don't know. Garfield Sobers. There's so many fascinating people out there. But, um, mate, you keep asking for one. I keep giving I'm just the biggest <laughs> fence sitter in the world on this uh, podcast. <laughs> if they're going to make Smokes the movie, who would play you in a movie about your life? Probably Danny DeVito. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. Like, what, the young Adam Holyoke or the old Adam Holyoke? Because the old Adam Holyoke, I'm hoping it's George Clooney, eh? <laughs> no, I don't know, mate. I don't think they'll be making any movies about me. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? Are you a nervous person? Oh, no, I'm, I'm not now. Um, I did probably. Uh, I don't really. I don't get nervous for a speak. I don't get nervous for interviews or going on stage or anything. Like that. I think probably the last. It was probably one of the last times I fought. I'd say maybe or or maybe watching some of my kids playing sport or doing things which I know meant means a lot to them. I'm not. A, I'm not a. Very, I'm not a very nervous guy by nature. What is the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die. What will be top of that list? Um, you know, it's amazing you should say that because I've been thinking about that a lot recently. I hope that doesn't mean I'm going to die, but um, <laughs> um, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think it's rather than things that I want to do, because I feel like I've already done so much. Oh, I feel like I've lived three to four lifetimes. I think I'd just like to do, just have a legacy. I'd like to do something now, between now and when I die, which people actually go, wow, you know, that was that was really cool. Um, and that made a difference. Uh, I think it would be that. I don't think it's like, I think I've done enough. I've had my ego stroked enough regarding personal glorification of like sporting achievements or stuff like that. I just think I'd just like to do something which helped people and that made a difference. I think that would be my wish if I could do that. And I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do it because I don't know what that is yet, but uh, and I've been thinking that for a long time. But just recently, it's been that feeling's been strong. Are you a morning or a night person? At the moment, I'm bloody neither, mate. I wake up tired and I go to bed tired. I'm bloody, <laughs> uh, probably morning. I'd say I get up. I'm an English person. I'd say morning because over here, I probably get up six o'clock, something like that, and go to bed at 9, 30, 10. But when I'm in England, I'm the other way around. I get up at 7, 38 and go to bed late. So depends where I am. Probably morning, I'd say. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the Fonz, how cool would you say you are? <laughs> oh, hell. Well, I don't know. I reckon I'm one of those people who varies. I reckon I have some cool moments. I reckon because I, I, I do some stuff because I don't care about the outcome of stuff. I reckon I do some cool stuff, but then I reckon I do some really, really uncool stuff as well. Some really <laughs> corny dad stuff. So I don't reckon I'm very cool in a Fonzie type way. But I reckon I'm a cool in a, I don't give a shit about the outcome here. So probably, I'd probably be a five, I'd have to say. Five out of ten, cool. If you had access to a time machine, where or when would you like to go? You can go forwards or backwards, but is there a, is there a kind of year that you'd like to get into and see what it was like? Did you say we could go forwards? Go forwards, yeah. Yeah, I'll probably go forwards, eh? I don't, I don't want to go back. It's like, I, I, think, I think if you ask a lot of people, everyone's like, oh, complaining about the way things are today. It's like, there's never been a better time to be alive. It's like, it's, everything's easy. Like, bloody hell, my car almost drives itself. Like, it's 
so I come in the house and light, lights come on and everything. I just push a button and my food's cooked. So phone, everything's just there on my phone. Everything's so easy. So I don't know why I'd want to make it harder and go backwards. So probably if anything maybe go forwards i uh, just probably probably not too far because i don't i don't you know what i don't want to miss my kids you know i don't want to miss any life either i'm just happy where i am mate i'm just happy where i am i just <laughs> so i'd get the time machine and i'd give it to someone else who or you know what no i'd go back and i'd just go back and i'd tell my brother i loved him one more time that'd be it if you could live anywhere in the world, and as a cricketer, I mean, you're obviously in Australia, I'm in England at the moment, but you've travelled the world playing your trade. If you could live anywhere in the world, buy a nice place somewhere, where would it be? Well, my plan is to buy a place on the Costa Brava, because I, like I like the vibe up there. I think it's nice and chilled. And I'll, I'll and to own one here on the Gold Coast, that'd be it. I wouldn't go anywhere else. I've been to most places. I love where I live. Gold Coast is so good. I don't think I'd necessarily move far from here. I think I've, I've, that's the one thing I've always gone where I wanted to go. I haven't been, oh, you know, stayed in London when I finished or, you know, just went back to my birthplace or town or anything like that. So I ended up on the Gold Coast because I feel that's the best place that I've been to. So that's kind of why I'm here. So it'd probably be Gold Coast. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? My nose is pretty big, eh? <laughs> it's like it's been beaten up, so I struggle to. I uh, probably snoring, eh? I mean, snore pretty badly. If I'm on my back, I snore. I'm like a buffalo, so probably something to do with my nose and not snoring as loudly. Or I'm sure, mate. There's so many things I changed about my personality. I'd love to be able to not react emotionally at all and just. That would be the thing, actually. I mean, superficially, my nose. Intellectually, I'd love to be able to not react emotionally and just think things through and choose the... It's my thing. It's my it's my project at the moment to not react emotionally and just come up with the right answer based on intellect and not allow my emotions to take over. So I'm working from a very, very early work in progress with that <laughs> is that the kind of counting to 10 before you react kind of thing mate i need to count to 2000 if i'm going to do that <laughs> <laughs> we've got two questions left adam the yeah. number 19 what will you be doing in 10 years time how old am i now almost almost 50 60 um i don't i reckon i'll be in this phase of life i'm at at the moment i reckon for another 10 years i reckon i'll just be going along doing what i'm doing i'm just i feel like this stage is this is a stage like the equivalent stage to when I started out playing cricket, I knew I was going to be doing that for, as long as I didn't get sacked or wasn't good enough. I knew that was going to be a thing I was going to be doing for 10 or 15 years. And I feel like this stage of my life, I'm going to be doing for 10 or 15 years the same thing. I'm going to be coaching cricket, bringing my kids up as best as I can. And I'm not striving for anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping if I can be a good dad, a good cricket coach, find out what it is that is going to, that, what legacy I can leave upon the world, what good thing I can leave upon the world. If I can do that in the next 10 or 15 years, then it's been a bloody good 10 years. So, um, I don't want any anything myself. I don't want anything financial. I don't want anything like that. I'm quite happy with everything I've got. So it'd just be that, I'd say. I quite like asking these questions to somebody who sounds to be in a, in a pretty decent place at the moment. When a lot of people maybe start to think about all the things they can change with their life with some of these questions, but you seem to be pretty content at the moment. Yeah, I am. I, I, don't, I really can't think. The last time I was this content, I would say, was probably just before my brother died. I had a path, I had a I had a clear path and 
I remember laying in bed with my wife at the time. We're now divorced, but um, I remember laying in bed with her the night before my brother died and said, wow, life doesn't get any better than this. Uh, it actually doesn't get any better. I'm playing for England, I'm captain of the best side in the, in the, in the world, arguably, our best first-class side. Um, I've got a beautiful wife, which I did at the time. She was seven months, eight, was almost eight months pregnant. Everything was going great. Um, financially, I was doing okay. And, and then, obviously, the next night, my brother died. And then, from there, it's just been, I've been getting smashed. So, um, uh, by from when my brother died, then my daughter was born a couple of months later. She almost died. Other friends of mine have died. Um, I've lost my money. And it's been a really tumultuous sort of period of time. But um, I just feel in the last two or three, three or four years, I've found some peace and you no know, crazy people around and just enjoying living humbly and just doing what I'm doing. Good to hear. Good to hear. Question number 20. Let's finish this off with this last question. Some people find this hard. Some people find this very, very easy. Mm. But if you've been picking these questions, if you've been me asking these questions, what would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? Jeez, that is a really hard question. It's a bloody good question as well. Um, Jeez. I don't know. I reckon you've, you know what? I reckon you've asked really good questions. It's been a really um, different interview. And a lot of these interviews I do, I'm like, oh, here we go again. I can just, I can just give a tape recorder. I can tell the person to go look up Google and look one of the other interviews I've done. All the answers are on there. But I've really liked your questions. And to me, it's... I did one. Another did another interview um, in two thousand and two thousand four or something like that. Two thousand three with the guy. I can't remember his name. He was a bloody good journalist. And I remember thinking, this is one of the best interviews I've done. He was. He came from a really different angle, and and it's the same with this interview. I've kind of really enjoyed the angle of your questions. It's something different. And um, but I'm just trying to buy myself some time here, mate, <laughs> to, to think what I want to say. But it's uh, oh, I reckon I reckon you've asked a couple of questions that. I probably might have I always to say why don't interviewers or reporters say tell me something about you that I don't know and I always yeah. used to think why, do, why don't they do that and you've kind of done that a little bit throughout the scene but the one thing I used to think was no one ever said that to me once throughout my whole career and I used to think wow if only they knew about my fighting I've been fighting since I was 12 no one once asked about me my whole career career no one asked no one ever goes you know tell me something about you that I know I'll say well I want to I want to fight professionally one day no one ever said that so now that's sort of out there I've done that and people are like okay been there seen that heard that there isn't there isn't anything like that now other than what you asked before and i said i'd like to sort of leave the world with some sort of legacy so mate you've done a good job and i can't think of anything that i would say that could add anything more to the interview to be honest well i'm i'm very happy to end an interview with somebody telling me that i've done a good job for a change it's been <laughs> been really good to talk to you mate i hear you sounding so happy and uh hopefully over these next few months you stay safe and that legacy yeah, comes you. to you yeah thanks mate i hope every all the listeners stay safe as well and just all stick together at these times all the men stand up lead your families and you know all the ceos of companies and sports captains of sport teams just be men and just make everyone realize that everything's going to be okay we're going to be all right the human race has survived world wars and planes flying into buildings we've survived the bubonic plague so we've just got to be calm and, and be like men and it's time for men to be men and stand up so all you listeners out there just be strong and we'll get through you take care mate thank you cheers james thank you mate it's that badger style Thank you very much indeed to Adam Hollyoak for joining me on the Cricket Badger podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed that because I certainly did chatting to him. Got plenty of other great guests lined up over the next few weeks, which hopefully will keep you entertained as we go through lockdown in the UK. And I know you're having problems around the world as well. 
It's not just the UK that has been hit by coronavirus. If you look at the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed, we've been voting on the greatest ever England test players. And we're going to be tackling India very, very soon indeed as well. I know uh, our Indian badges out there, you're having plenty of problems with coronavirus too. And hopefully this will take your mind off it a little bit. You can think back to some of the greats of Indian test cricket. Have a bit of a discussion on the at cricket underscore badger Twitter feed. And we'll find out who is the greatest of all time in an Indian test shirt. If you like this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast, please click on the subscribe button. Do whatever you need to do on the various platform you've listened to it on. Leave a nice comment as well. That would be massively appreciated as we try and grow the audience and the Cricket Badger family. And until next time, Badgers, there's no cricket to watch, but stay safe, stay healthy, look after yourselves and look after each other. And I'll see you next time on the Cricket Badger podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.